Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, I have today with me uh, Carol Kranowitz, and I am so excited because um, I met Carol probably, oh oh boy, well, welcome first. I want to say hi. (laughs) And uh, I think I met you, I'm going to say it's about 10 years ago, and um, you presented at a conference, and I was just starting to get my feet wet, learning more about um, my son's diagnosis, and you were so lovely. I, I, I sat through your, you know, an hour and 15 minutes or whatever it was, and I, I waited and waited so you could co- um, sign a copy of your book, The Out of Sync Child, uh, and I uh, you sat with me for like another half hour just talking about my son and I was like so grateful and I was like, wow, yeah, this is amazing. And uh, that wasn't my first intro to your work. My first intro was from um, a dear friend of mine who is an OT. And when I was first you know, noticing that there was something little different about my son, I spoke to her and she says, you know, have you ever thought of sensory processing? And she had given me, she had given me your book. And then she had given me a, like a questionnaire kind of thing. And I was looking at it going, oh, wow. So some of these, yeah, some of this really fits. And so the book you were signing when I actually met you was for her because um, she loves your work as oh. well. So, <laughs> so and and then I just got to know so much more about you. So if you could, um, you know, for our audience, if you could give them a little bit of background on who you are and what you do. Of course. And it's just a pleasure to be with you again, Ilya. Um, so what do I do? Uh, well, what, do, what, what I did uh, is curious. I was a preschool teacher for 25 years. And for the first 10 years... I was very curious about the kids who I considered not to be in sync with the other children. Um, I always thought that uh, children loved mud and swings and and singing and climbing, you know, the the stuff of childhood. And there were some children who really didn't like some of those things or who loved some of those things in a very unusual way, like um, mud up to their armpits or spinning on a tire swing for 20 minutes and getting off without any sign of dizziness. So I was, I was curious about these children and asked a lot of questions. And uh, finally, an occupational therapist came to our preschool and did a workshop for the teachers on sensory processing, which totally blew me away because it seemed to answer so many questions. So I started begging occupational therapists to share their evaluations of children with me, with the children's names blacked out. And those were my textbooks because there wasn't anything for preschool teachers or for parents. This was this was back in the 80s. There wasn't anything available unless you went um, to school to study to become an occupational therapist. Um, so I decided to write a book for people like me who wanted to understand these kids and reach them and teach them. And that was the, that was the uh, the drive to get a book into the hands of people who were not occupational therapists. 
Right. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful book. I, um, I, again, I, I kind of scoured through it, <laughs> you know, probably again, like 10 years ago. And then I know that that work has evolved over the years. Uh, but yeah, it's just so informative. And I think um, just like you're saying, and then that's similar to the work that I'm doing is trying to make some of this stuff more accessible, because I think we can really get caught up, uh, you know, if you are one of those, you know, occupational therapists or speech therapists or, you know, a, a behavioral therapist, um, you can get so caught up in that one area. But what about, right, our educators who work with a variety of students in their classroom every day and, and families as well? Yes. And sensory processing issues are very common but not well understood. And unfortunately, we look at a child who's having a meltdown because he doesn't like the smell of the glue. Mm. Now, if you aren't uh, aware that ordinary sensations can seem hostile to some children, then you're mm. going to think this child is whiny, uh, demanding, fussy, mm -hmm. what is his problem? And I know this from my own early experience. Before I understood the, these neurological issues, I thought these three and four-year-olds whom I was teaching were trying to sabotage my program. Now, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, a four-year-old does not wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to make everybody, all the grown-ups in my life, really mad at me? <laughs> <laughs> how am I going to how am I going to get into a crowd of other children and uh, make them avoid me or uh, <laughs> um, uh, or think I'm really wacko? Um, you know, kids, right? You know. So once we can put on what I think of as sensory spectacles, these imaginary spectacles, and look at children and say this behavior is not what I'm expecting from this child. Could there be a sensory issue? And I think with our imaginary glasses on, we can ask ourselves, is there possibly a sensation in the environment or within this child that I can't see, that I don't recognize? But is there a sensation that's really bothering this kid? Or a second question is, is there a sensation this child is trying to get that he's not, that he's parched for. And, and usually that's movement. The right. I, movement. And, the, and the third question is, what, let me observe this child. What is he doing to solve this problem for himself? And can that be made socially acceptable? Can the other children do what he is looking to do? Can we understand this as his self-therapy and celebrate it so right uh <clears throat> that's what i what what i would like people to do and i think i may need to give folks some background before they ask these questions they need to know what kind of sensations i'm talking about so Right. I was just going to say, yeah, if we could just step back a little bit yeah. and talk about, you know, when we talk about sensory processing challenges, um, and I think, you know, historically sensory processing disorders uh, would have been a, a label. Um, yeah, I think, I think to give people a little bit of context about cool. what, you know, what we're talking about. Sure. Cool. So uh, this is, uh, this is the out of sync child in a nutshell. Um <laughs> Uh, we all we have eight senses, and everybody knows about seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. And uh, uh, those are evident. And I think of those as kind of public senses because everybody can hear the truck going down the road. Um, everybody can see the squirrel run up the tree. Um, so that's why we're aware of those five senses. There are three other senses that are body-centered. 
that nobody but the person herself knows about. And that is, one of those is the vestibular sense, which tells a person where her head is in relation to the surface of the earth. The receptors are in the inner ear. So every time we turn our head or bend down to pick up a drop pencil or um, lift off in an airplane, our inner ear is registering that we are changing our relationship to the earth. And this is a, um, a gravity. Gravity is the stimulus for the vestibular receptors. Now, who goes around thinking about that? <laughs> well, we just we just get out of bed in the morning and we move around and we bend over the sink to brush our teeth and we, you know, we we raise our chin to look at the clouds and we don't think about it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's but some children, some people, and there are sixteen percent of the people in the world, and this is a. An, an estimate have sensory processing issues, and that's a that's a pretty high number. Yeah, it is. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. So the vestibular system, nobody can tell you that it's silly to say you're dizzy, or that your fear of going up a little raised ramp in an obstacle course on the playground is out of line. Nobody can tell you that because they don't know what's going on in your vestibular sense. They, it's not like a squirrel running up a tree that they can see and sort of share with you. Right. Um, right. So, so the vestibular sense is considered the master sense. If we, if Two things to know about it. If we don't feel confident that we're grounded, imagine, imagine being dizzy. 24 7. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like. Or nauseous 24 right. 7. Okay. We need to feel grounded and stable. And the vestibular sense is the master sense also because it governs all the other senses. If the vestibular sense is out of sync, it affects vision, hearing, everything we do. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's one of the body-centered senses. Then there's the proprioceptive sense. The proprioceptive sense is all about our muscles, joints, and ligaments. And when we stretch, when we flex and stretch, we're activating our proprioceptive sense. And everybody does it, and everybody needs it, and some people do it a lot. So the little kid who is... He's got his T-shirt collar in his teeth and the hem of the T-shirt stretched over his knees <laughs> and he's um, rocking in his school chair and he's hanging on to the edge of the desk with his thumbs and fingers. Mm -hmm. You know, you, can you picture this kid? Um, oh, yeah, that's why I'm chuckling. I'm chuckling because I'm like, oh, I think I know these kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's getting some, he's rocking back and forth, which is soothing vestibular activity that works with him. Linear movement, by the way, like picture this kid rocking on the back two feet of his chair. Yep. Um, linear movement is soothing. Rocking chair, hammock, trampoline. The linear movement is organizing and calming. Rotary movement, which is spinning in circles on the tire swing or, or just in space circling, mm -hmm. that is um, more stimulating. Right. Okay. So this, this is the kid. He's getting proprioception by hanging onto his T-shirt collar. His jaw is clenching. His teeth are clenching on the cloth, and he's stretching, and that is intense, but intense proprioceptive input that his little body needs. Mm -hmm. Um. um uh, getting out of his seat at school and walking around and pushing 
against furniture, banging into furniture and um, bumping and crashing into the other children is not to be defiant and disorganized and attention getting in a negative way. It is to get input into the muscles and joints. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. But we don't know what it feels like to be inside that child's elbows and knees. All we mm-hmm. see is, what the heck is this kid? I'm <laughs> out of his seat. And... Right. Okay. Now, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say with these, with the, especially with this particular um, piece, the proprioceptive piece, I can see, you know, I, I work um, predominantly with those with autism, right? And I think we would see a lot of these types of observations with those students um, in all, at all age levels, really. Uh, and also, I think, you know, the some of this could be labeled if we're looking at a diagnosis, and I will put labeled in quotes, with, um, you know, this is maybe ADD or ADHD, right? We're seeing, we might label it those types of things, but really what's happening is exactly what you're defining here. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And I'm going to make a note so I don't forget because I want to come back to what you just said. But I want to say one more thing about the eighth. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here's here's what happens, Ilya. I get into a conversation with someone like you who is on the same page with me. And we could go off in a gazillion <laughs> <laughs> But I do, I, I, I am aware that some of our listeners, uh, this might, might be new to them. So I want to. I want to keep myself in line. Yes, no, definitely. Thank you. All right. So we have the five senses everybody knows about. We have vestibular, which is happening in the inner ear. We have proprioception, which is happening in the muscles, joints, and ligaments. And then there's interoception, which is the um, unconscious awareness of our internal organs. So uh, we're slightly, I hope we're conscious of our stomach, our bladder, um, our heart rate, maybe when we get excited, we're aware that our heart's beating really fast. Um, but we're not aware of what our gallbladder is doing or our spleen, but all of those internal organs have to be humming along, working together to make us uh, get through the day. And mm-hmm. okay, so Dr. Here's the crux of sensory processing disorder. Um, Dr. Jean Ayers, a brilliant occupational therapist um, who died in the 80s, uh, she did her seminal work in the the middle of the last century um, in California, and she formulated the theory of sensory integration and sensory integration uh, treatment. And we're calling it sensory processing now. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so um, her, uh, what she put forward was that there are three senses that are the underpinnings of development. The tactile sense, which is that the receptors are all over our body in our skin. The vestibular sense and the proprioceptive sense. And uh, she, uh, she proposed, and I believe, that those are the three most important senses for little kids. So, so babies come out with a pretty good tactile sense already working from the get-go. And they, they know what, what, what sensory sensations on their skin, uh, what feels good, like skin against skin, um, they like to be caressed. They like to be held. Um, and most babies can handle having a diaper changed or, uh, you know, wear, have clothes put on them. Um, but if the tactile sense is not working well, a tiny little kid might already show signs of sensory processing disorder or dysregulation where this uh, where the child will arch and scream when someone tries to hold him. Mm-hmm. These are babies who have trouble um, establishing a latch 
to the breast, so they they have trouble nursing. And immediately, it's really difficult for parents because their baby doesn't seem to like them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you must see this, and it, it's very it's very poignant because parents are giving all this love, and the baby's saying, "Go away." So, right. so um, you know, if that's happening in little kids, the good news is that there is therapy to help help these children um, with. Uh, tactile therapy that helps their little neurological systems understand that these are benign sensations and good sensations. And I'm I'm not a therapist, so I shouldn't talk more shouldn't talk about therapy so much. But I do want to I do want to encourage people to think that um, little kids are very malleable. Their brains are malleable, and they can be they can. Be helped so much. The younger, the younger, the better. Um, even though older people can be helped with occupational therapy too, very much. So the tactile system, tactile system is very important. So the child, that's the child's primary learner. He learns about the world through his skin because his vision and hearing are not acute at in infancy. And the baby's vestibular sense tells him that it's okay to be lifted up and rolled over and he's comfortable. Right. And, you know, when someone's moving his limbs around and he's moving his own limbs around, it's fine and he likes it and he finds his toes and fingers and <laughs> um, stretches and kicks and all of that is the way it's supposed to go. And then... Um, with the development proceeding typically with the good foundation of tactile, vestibular, and proprioceptive sensory systems, when those are working well, the baby has the foundation to move out more and look around and listen more carefully and um, push up on his hands and stretch up like a little cobra and look around and um, put things in his mouth to see, oh, what's this rattle like? Mm -hmm. And uh, the exploration begins if that foundation of tactile vestibular and proprioceptive is good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great like background. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, when I look at those, especially those last three, which are outside of the typical five, right, that we learn about, uh, that is where I think um, we see a lot of, you know, uh, challenges with kids with autism, right? Because, and th these are also the things that, that, may not you, you may not have words for especially if you're a younger child or even older i think we might not know we might just say that we get dizzy or we might say that um going on that swing makes me uh i'm, I'm afraid of that or there's a fear of certain things but but maybe really what might be happening is that some of these things are you know kind of like you would say out of sync and dysregulated uh and we would you know i know you talk uh, a lot about how to kind of bring all that into regulation. So can we talk a little bit about that? So I know, you know, your original book was The Out of Sync Child. So then, right, the natural question is, how do we get, you know, the child in sync? And and I, and I will say child because that's just what you use in your books. But um, we're really talking about people in general because right. I think some of these things work for everyone. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, people do not grow out of the, the big sensory issues. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes, many times, um, issues in little kids, like like a dislike of uh, finger paint, dislike of messy play, for instance. You know, eventually that might smooth out or the child figures out he can get through life without mud. And, <laughs> right. and, and, and uh, he, figures out, he figures out a way. But for some kids with a severe sensory issues, uh, you know, at that end of the continuum, uh, these are lifelong problems. Mm -hmm. um, so how to get kids in sync? Well, Ilya, I'm glad you brought that up because 
that's the direction I'm going in now. I'm trying to think positively about everything. Kind of hard in the climate. <laughs> the current climate. Oh. Yes, I know, I know. Um, uh, with our with our imaginary sensory spectacles on, if we can look at children and try to figure out, well, is there a sensation that's bothering this kid? Could it be smell? So, I mean, smell, for instance, um, well, here's an example. I do not at all like the smell of cumin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I have a very adverse physical negative response to the scent of it. So, you know, it's easy. I don't eat a lot of Mexican food. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's not it's not the end of end of the world. Um, I I manage it. But mm-hmm. what if what if I live with you, Ilya, and you love Mexican food and you cook it every day and you don't understand me? It that's going to be a little problem for us. We're going to have to work this out. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. I mean, so so that that's a very strong scent. Some mm-hmm. children are aware of very subtle scents. I mean, it can be um, a banana ripening on the kitchen counter that the child really objects to and can't express it, but he's irritable and cranky and dumps his plate on the floor, and we have to try to figure out what is it that's bothering him it may not be bothering me, but it sure is bothering him. What is it? And can I remove the offending banana once I mm-hmm. figure out what I do? And so lots of times you can do that. You can, here's another example. Going to the mall, um, there is sonar in the air. There are a lot of the shops, like if you go near a jewelry store, for instance, uh, there's sonar, which is part of the security system. Well, some children have auditory sensitivity; they can pick that up that most people right. wouldn't be wouldn't notice. And the kids can't say, "Mommy, the sonar in that." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just they just lie down on the on the floor of the mall and have a tantrum. Right. Uh, we can leave the mall. Or we can figure out a way to go to that, past that jewelry store in a different route. So, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I think that if we're aware of it, we can help kids. And this is not indulging them or, or, or enabling them. This is an observing what bothers kids and trying to make it so that they don't have to have that difficulty. And you know some some of the difficulties kids have, we can help by avoiding them. But sometimes it, therapy is the best answer to help them get in sync. If you don't have the option to get therapy, then a over-the-counter remedy is outdoor play. <laughs> this might sound really different um, but when you think about your childhood your childhood Ilya and our mm-hmm. childhoods when you think about our childhoods and think about the things that we did that we love doing uh, uh, guaranteed I can tell you what you're thinking about <laughs> of you are going to remember outdoor activities as being so pleasurable. Right. Um, You are, there's no clock on what you're doing. This is not like outdoor soccer practice. You are going to tell me putting rocks in the stream to make a dam, Mm -hmm. swimming, riding a horse, rowing a boat, playing, um, Red light, red light, and <laughs> and, and you know uh, uh, games like games like that. Mother, may I in the 
road with the other kids in the neighborhood. You're going to tell me about playing hopscotch and climbing trees and picking berries. All you know, it's all, I've done this with thousands and thousands of people. Maybe Ilya did that ten years ago when <laughs> I met you. Um, and okay, so you're outdoors. There's no clock on it on your activity. You do it until there's a natural conclusion. It gets dark or it's dinner time or you've jumped rope long enough. Um, you are with uh, people you like in this activity. There, uh, there are no bullies involved in this one. <laughs> this memorable experience, you know, you're with friends or family or grandparents. Um, there's communication. Even if you're not talking, you're gesturing or you're waving or you're beckoning or you're somehow um, making your presence and thoughts known to other people. And the, it, there's joy, joy in what you're doing. So now look at what our kids are doing. They're indoors 90% of the time. They're not moving their bodies very much. They're pretty sedentary with the games that we offer them. And it's not just the um, electronic devices. It's COVID-19. That's yeah. So we need to get kids back in sync. We need to get them moving. If we can't take them outside, um, we have got to get them jumping around inside the house and one here's here's a fun thing to do make an obstacle course in your home get out the bring out um uh, uh saucepans waste baskets um briefcases make obstacles so you've got a curvy road you've got to go around the waste baskets and the and the briefcases uh put a a table, a big sheet over the dining room table and make it be a tunnel um, that kids have to get down and crawl through. Uh, get a, uh, make a crash pad with the couch cushions so the kids can jump from the couch onto the cushions on the floor. You know, make all these physical opportunities happen in your house. Um, Another another idea is to put a chair in the doorways. So, <laughs> so instead of making it easy, make it hard. Make, <laughs> make it challenging. And kids have to figure out how to get over or under or around the chair to get where, where he's going. And, and you know, I think... Um, I say this all the time. We make life harder for our kids in the future by trying to make it easy for them now. We've got to get them off, off the couch, um, looking at obstacles as welcome challenges. If they can figure out how to get past that chair from the dining room to the kitchen, uh, this is preparation for life. Since right. Life Life is an obstacle course. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> so think about ways to get kids moving. Movement is movement is one of the most important factors in healthy development. And when we think about the, the indoor sedentary life with kids' faces about two feet from bright, glaring electronic screens, this is not nature. This is not natural. Nature, nature has designed us to be moving. We are born to move. And when you think about um, our ancestors, not just not just fifty thousand years ago, but a hundred and fifty years ago, uh, everybody moved all day long. They they you know they they right. they, they milked the cow. They split the wood. They they swept the hearth. They shook out the rugs. I mean, they, people were active all day long and 
now we don't even uh, pull up the garage door by ourselves. <laughs> you know, everything's everything's made easy for us, and we're not using our vestibular, proprioceptive, tactile senses, or much of our other senses. So that I guess long way of saying to help kids get in sync, not just the out of sync children who are. Uh, yearning for occupational therapy to help them not just those kids all kids all mm -hmm. adults get us moving right and we'll feel better i think the interesting thing when as as you were talking i was thinking you know a lot of the um the what should i say i don't even want to know what to call them but these uh, things we've designed to make our lives easier, which is, you know, the garage door opener and even smart homes, right? We don't even have to open our doors or turn on our lights if we really set it up really well. The, the whole house can do, you know, do everything for you if you just ask it. Um, it. I think all of that technology, even we're using so much technology, especially right now during COVID, um, it's designed to help make our lives easier. But I think the intent, I remember reading somewhere a long time ago, I was in IT for a little while, reading that technology is designed to make our lives easier so that we may be able to engage in things that are more joyful for us and have more time to be with family and more time to uh, engage in the joyful things of life. Um, in some ways, I think we've taken that and made it uh, so that we could just do more, <laughs> more work and more being online, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the garage door opener and the, and the light, switch that goes on automatically if those things mean that we can put on our hiking boots and get out the door faster for a hike right great but if those things mean that we spend less time on chores so we can spend more time in front of the television <laughs> not great right not, right not great um i i mean i i remember um there was a a child in uh, at the school where I taught. Uh, he was. He came from. His family was very wealthy, and he had a lot of servants at his house. He had a cook and a full a full time housekeeper, and he was four years old. What did the little boy like to do in the classroom? He loved to play in the housekeeping corner. Mm -hmm. He he loved. We had a little ironing board. Um, mm -hmm. preschools have ironing boards anymore but he loved he would and he would put on an apron and he would uh um he would tell me about his cook and his uh housekeeper and let's say their names were um, amelia and rosa and he would say to me mrs Krenowitz, at my house amelia and rosa have all the fun Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I was very impressed by that because he appreciated people who really did good who really did something that made a difference you know right. they 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 swept and the floor was clean he he was this child was the best cleaner upper in the classroom he loved putting the blocks back in the in the cupboard, he emulated the people in his life who were the doers. Right. So I just think, I think chores are great for kids. I mean, we think, oh, I can't ask him to empty the dishwasher. He'll put things in the wrong places. Well, that's how you learn. Right. <laughs> you know, someone says, no, the, that plate goes in the other cupboard, and he learns. And gosh, we got to get yeah. We got to get kids uh, taking care of themselves and then they can take care of their environment and they can be doers, not doings. <laughs> Yeah, no, and you raise a, an interesting point with with all of that. Um, it's not just building that particular skill, right? Which we we call life skills, which now we actually teach those. Um, and it's not it's not being taught for all kids. And I, I would argue that all kids 
do need more of that. We've taken a lot of that out of schools now. Um, but it also teaches, right, the problem solving skills and the critical thinking. And the uh, part of this is executive functioning as well, right? Like what order do I do things in and which way works and which way doesn't work? Um, so I, so there's so many, this is really like it could be a very integrated way of approaching uh, a lot of different things. Right, right. A lot of different things. Um, yeah. Um, I would like that that triggered uh, triggered a thought that I w- I wanted to say. Um, when I talk about sensory processing disorder, I want people to know that it can be a discrete issue, and this is the only problem the child has. But I better not say usually, I better say often, <laughs> it um, is coexistent with other conditions. So uh, I believe, and Temple Grandin, who is the spokesperson for autism, mm-hmm. confirms that um, everyone with autism has sensory processing issues. Mm-hmm. Not everyone with sensory processing issues has autism, of course. Correct. Of course. Right. But everybody with autism does. And I would say that everybody with um, Down syndrome, with um, many, many conditions that we, that we see commonly overlap with sensory issues. About 40% of kids with ADHD, for instance, also have sensory processing disorder. So there's a big there's a big overlap there, and one thing that we need to think about is we got to put on these imaginary sensory spectacles because doctors don't know about sensory processing very much. Um, sometimes the child is really troubled with social situations and and emotions, and so the idea is to take that child to a psychotherapist for talk therapy. But many mental health professionals are not up on sensory processing issues, too. And they're looking at the problems the child has as being um, um, mental and emotional problems that that may be true, but the underlying reason is physical. Right. I was just going to say, especially with anxiety um, and depression, uh, which we also see very commonly in the autistic population, um, you know, to, to be, I mean, I think a lot of it is if you had some of these challenges, right? Yes, you're going to feel um, you're, you're going to feel tired and fatigued and just, you know, lack of motivation and inertia and all those kind of things. Whereas getting the body moving while may not even be all that, that is needed to, you know, kind of mitigate some of the anxiety, it can be a significant piece of helping. Definitely. Yes. Yes, it it can be. It certainly won't hurt ever. (laughs) Never. (laughs) And, 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 you know, a lot of a lot of people have a very high movement quota. Children who are not sleeping well or who don't have a robust appetite are often kids who are just lying around all day because they're they're they haven't given they haven't fed their body uh, the, the movement that the body needs to regulate itself. Um, so. Uh, before I totally forget, I I do want to talk about the zebra, uh, uh, the zebra. You know, <laughs> you know, you you probably everyone has probably heard this that when you hear hoofbeats, look for a horse, not a zebra. And I remember my my son's pediatrician used to say that too when I would bring a child in who was sick. Uh, uh, you know, and I was thinking, was it something terrible? The doctor would say, you know, it's probably not a zebra. It's probably. <laughs> I think of sensory processing disorder as the zebra because we we take the child to the pediatrician. We take the child to the um, 
psychologist and they say, oh, it's uh, probably ADHD because there's so many overlapping symptoms, the fidgetiness, for instance, um, short attention span are common in both ADHD and SPD. And the child with SPD has a short attention span. Perhaps he can't listen to the teacher because the tag in his t-shirt and the seams in his socks are irritating his sensitive <clears throat> sen uh, tactile system. And that's what he's thinking about. Or he can't, he ha or reset, they can't go outside because it's raining and he hasn't been outside and he loves to go outside and run and his vestibular and proprioceptive senses are screaming for some movement. He doesn't have ADHD. He looks like he does, mm -hmm. but it's not a horse. It's our, it's our zebra. So, right. so um, just wanted to get, get that thought in. Yeah, um, no, most definitely. And I wonder if, um, you know, as we think about, as we put those glasses on, and I've used the term being, uh, you need to be a detective to really yeah. look, right, to really look at what what am I really seeing here instead of what's just on the surface, I think. Uh, you know, as you start recognizing this, what kind of things would you suggest um, kind of trying? Um, well, uh, what I'm doing right now is I am uh, working with a colleague who is a perceptual motor therapist. Her name is Joy Newman. We've written uh, together Growing an Instinct Child and um, cards, activity cards, the Instinct activity cards. And we're working now on webinars for early childhood educators to give them some ideas of things to do. And Nobody has to read those books or listen to my webinars. I will tell you what these in in a nutshell what we're what we're what we're saying. Give a child uh, an object like a piece, uh, like a eighteen inch piece of laundry rope, and say, "Let's pretend this is your snake. We can call him Snakey." Mm -hmm. um, 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 put Snakey on your shoulder. Put Snakey, hold Snakey's ends between your hands and pull the, pull Snakey as far apart, make it re really tight. Put Snakey, Snakey on the ground and jump over Snakey. Jump backwards over Snakey. Lie down on the floor next to Snakey and see if you can get your body in the same position as Snakey is on the floor. I mean, there are a gazillion things you can do with an item like that. Right. Masking tape or with a paper plate. So we have tons and tons of suggestions. And the idea is um, have the child use his body to relate to this object. Put, mm -hmm. your, put your nose on that paper plate. Take mm -hmm. that paper plate and tap your elbow with it. Put one foot on the paper plate and walk around a circle with the other, walk with your foot around that paper plate. Put both feet on that paper plate. Put an elbow and a foot on your paper plate. And, you know, little kids just groove on this. Yeah, yeah. They get so creative with this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's very simple. You don't need a lot of space. You don't need a lot of tools. You can do it with anything you've got in your house. You can do it with a spoon. You can do it with, um, gosh, when I was desperate, I took the lint out of the dryer, <laughs> dryer vent this was when my boys were young and, and there was terrible wet, cold weather in one winter for a long time. And I was looking for stuff to do. I would spread that lint in the living room, the clean, clean lint, and I would give them the vacuum cleaner, which, mm -hmm. was, you know, for my little boy, it was the vacuum cleaner was taller than he was. But, <laughs> but that was 
that was a fun activity and mm-hmm. you know, good for proprioception, that pushing and that pulling. Uh, it was a good eye-hand coordination activity. It was about depth perception. It was, it was auditory. It, was, it had a lot of stuff going for it. And we, you know, if you look at, if you look around and, and, and think, what are some jobs that need to be done for kids? It's fun. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, anyway, all our kids need, they need to know they're needed. They need to know they're part of the team, the family team or the class team. Um, they, they need to know that they are valuable and their ideas are worth listening to. They need to know that if they have a complaint, it is respected. And, uh, you know, sometimes, and I was so guilty of this myself with my children and even with my students until I was educated. Um, it's, you know, it's easy to want to jolly them along out of a funk they're in or to downplay the complaint. Oh, that didn't really hurt. Or, oh, you'll, you'll get over it. And, you know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes they are being whiny over spilt milk, which doesn't need a, mm-hmm. a, a great big huge solution. A little sponge will solve that problem. But, but you know, sometimes, especially if these complaints or worries of the children are consistent, if, especially if you hear it over and over again, um, it's it's worth listening to and respecting and trying to, to respond to it. You, here's an example of what I'm trying to say. Um, um, some children at the school where I taught did not like playing outside um, because their uh, their uh, parents didn't understand that this, that we were outside ninety minutes out of a three hour three hour period, or mm-hmm. sometimes we're, we were outside all morning uh, because things are better outside. Some parents didn't know that, and they were not dressing the children appropriately. And of course, if you're a little girl in a in a skirt, your legs are cold. Right. right. So sometimes it was just that uh, we needed to explain to the parents, your child loves school. She'll love it even more if she's warmer. And, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, sometimes you can you can help a situation that way. But if it's a, if there are underlying issues with the sensory systems, that can be bigger than a parent or a teacher can handle and the in those cases it's really nice to have an occupational therapist help out um for those of you who don't know what occupational therapy or ot is um it's an uh and you can help me Amelia. it's not <laughs> it's an allied medical what is the term allied no, never mind. Anyway, it's um, it's uh, to become an OT, you need now I think five years of study, and uh, you learn all about the body, and you learn about neurology and psychology and a lot of other a lot of other things, and the OT figures out what the issues are that the child is having trouble with and. It's not, uh, um, let's say handwriting is a problem because that's so common. Uh, an OT at school often has to work on handwriting with a child. But what really the OT wants to do with that child is get him moving. Mm-hmm. And um, out gross motor play, uh, gross motor being large muscle movement, right. is the way to get the small muscles, the fine muscles, in sync. 
you have to warm up the core of the body, the big muscles, so b before the little muscles are ready. So for, for little kids, if they get to run around the room or punch a punching bag hanging from the suspended from the ceiling or um, or uh, jump into a ball pit or jump into a what's called a cloud, a big puffed up mm. uh, fabric-y kind of item on the floor. If kids can run and jump and leap and stretch, then their fine motor muscles are warmed up and ready to go. So right. an OT knows that and knows how much and how intense the, um, the activity should be to get the child ready. But right. you, know, you, talk, you, you tell our listeners what an OT does. Yeah, we're actually going to be bringing an OT on for a podcast, uh, Hannah Day, and she's going to be talking about all of those same things um, and also looking at it from the, you know, the, the difference between in-home sort of services that an occupational therapist would provide and what you might see at school, which is different, uh, oftentimes different. I think you know, what you're saying is accurate. I think the term occupational therapist can be misleading for many people um, because she says, you know, I, I get so many people that say, uh, you know, can you help me get a job? And, and well, yeah, but it's not quite exactly in the way that you think that that might work. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, but I think definitely it, it's sort of being able to build the skill, uh, I, I would say physically, right, where you can um, get uh, your day, your daily living skills met. So, you know, is it opening packages? Is it being able to prepare a meal? Is it being able to dress yourself? Um, sitting down, you know, for, and this is not exclusive to any particular diagnosis. This can be someone who's suffered an injury or someone who's had a stroke or, you know, whatever. How can we get the person back to doing the daily living skills that they need to live a um, you know, an independent life, you know, or if they need strategies for that, what kind of strategies can we put in place that they need to learn how to utilize in order to be able to make those things successful. And again, it's, it's so individual, but I think I like about what you're saying is there are some very simple things that we can do that, you know, are, are don't have to necessarily individualize to a person. We could, we could talk about the obstacle courses and, you know, going out for walks or doing the trampoline and do, you know, all these things that we may forget about um, that can be very simple ways to help someone integrate. And I would say, um, you know, whether that's emotional regulation, whether that's sensory regulation, right, um, to kind of bring them to a place of feeling ready now to then right. learn, right, ready to learn, ready to do the next uh, activity or the next task. And I know so many schools and educators have put together sensory breaks or sensory rooms, uh, and it's so hard right now because those things are not being able to be utilized the way they were meant to be um, because of COVID and change school hours. But I like your idea of very simple things that can be done at home or even in a classroom, right? I love the snakey thing um, where it's their own piece of string, right? They can stay in their own space, <laughs> uh, but, but, but still be able to kind of have that physical break. Uh, and I know people talk a lot about the brain breaks, but some of those brain breaks, I think, need to be physical ones. And I don't think it's just for kids. I think all of us who are working from home now um, need to be able to do something physical and kind of get up and start moving around a little bit. You're absolutely right. We all we never lose that that need for movement. Um, right. A lot of us just sit and sit and sit. Um, and and you were talking about occupation. I I think of uh, an OT who a pediatric OT working with children as helping the children with the occupation of childhood. Mm, mm -hmm. The child's job is to get out of bed in the morning and learn how to get through the day 
at home, at school, in the grocery store, and at the library. And uh, th- that's the child's job right. to, to, to develop these skills. And I also liked what you were talking about being ready. That's what, a, that's what an OT does. It helps a child's body be ready to pick up the pencil. And that's what parents and teachers can do. Uh, if a child is struggling with something, uh, go back a few steps. Mm-hmm. You know, chrono- chronological age and developmental age do not always match. So, so sometimes... I mean, it does no good to say to a child, you're five years old, you're acting like a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the child may be really upset uh, because there's the spaghetti on his wrist. That <laughs> yeah, and he might be acting like a fussy four-year-old, but that's because it's not a, it's, it's not, a, it shouldn't be a surprise. That's not really a, a great example, but it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that children act immaturely from time to time. They also act very maturely from right. time to time. It's not smooth. So remember that childhood is a journey and uh, we cannot compare one child to another. In a, in a family, you're going to get the, the kid who can read and ride his bike at the age of four, and in the same family, a sister who learns to read and ride a bike at eight. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's plenty, uh, plenty of leeway. It's when, it's when, um, the eight-year-old has so many other issues that are preventing her from participating in childhood. That's when we want to we want to worry about it. But there, you know, the bell curve is broad. There's a lot of there's a lot of differences between children as they grow. Things even out later, but when they're right. young, it's a it's a different rate. Um, I want to give people a. A lot of hope, uh, learning to look at kids and to discern these underlying sensory issues is is so eye-opening for many parents who never thought about these things before. But it really it will relieve you to think, oh, it's the scent of cumin in this chili. Oh, it's that the bath temperature is too cool my child likes it really hot i can i can make some changes to help my child and that that is just so such a comfort to know that you have some tools right and i think that's why this this topic is one that i definitely wanted to um, address and especially with you because you make everything so practical um, and and easier to understand. So I I appreciate that and I I think the biggest thing that I would emphasize that you said here in closing was that each each child each person is different and it it can get hard but to not compare them to you know other people's kids <laughs> and, yeah. you know or even others uh, other of your own children right like it's it's um looking at each one from their own uh individual uh lens and uh you know doing things that seem to make sense for them and i think what's nice is as children get older they're able to sometimes verbalize a little bit more yeah. Right. Like and what works for them and what doesn't work for them. So while it's a trial and error um, kind of, you know, process sometimes uh, after a while, you can start getting feedback about what may work and what may not work in a a little bit of an easier way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I know that you have so much, you know, information and you're working on all sorts of new projects. Uh, If people want to find out more about what you do, where can they go for that? Um, well, I guess my little website, uh, it's uh, outofsyncchild.com, or you, another way to get to it is my full name, Carol Stock Kranowitz, 
www.ellenbarnett.com. Um, and, an and I have another website with my colleague, Joy Newman, and that is insyncchild.com. Uh, I, I sort of do Facebook, but not too much. And uh, if people have comments, I'm I'm very available. Uh, so send me a, a, the easiest email is carolkranowitz at gmail.com and I will answer all your all your questions. That's so, great. Yeah, uh, I will I will put all of that information in the um, podcast description so people can find it easily. And um, and yeah, and and if you know if anyone needs more information, I can also point them in uh, in your direction as well. Right. But I appreciate you spending this time with me. Thank you. It was my great pleasure. I loved I love to talk about this topic. I love to be with people like you and our listeners who are eager for for more information to make sense of some their ch children's sometimes bewildering behavior. <laughs> Absolutely. We're all in this together. We all care about the same things. So it's great to be in this community. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.